Hi everyone, I'm Lindsay Sheridan, your host and director of marketing and PR at Imagine MKE. If you're new to the show, each week I'll sit down with an artist or arts administrator in Milwaukee and dive deep into their story, asking them about their Milwaukee origin, their early memories that sparked a love of the arts, their current work, and their vision for the future of the city. On today's episode, I speak with Matt Kempel, producer, entrepreneur, comedian, who has been a key force in building Milwaukee's active comedy scene in the last 15 or so years. You may know him from his work as the founder and producer of the Milwaukee Comedy Festival, co-founder of the Milwaukee Fringe Festival, founder and manager of the Underground Collaborative, and co-producer of the new comedy club, Laughing Tap. I really enjoyed learning more about Matt's work. It feels like this episode could alternatively be titled, How I Built This, and hearing his wonderful reflections on Milwaukee. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy. Thanks for being here today, Matt. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Really glad to be able to talk with you months after our initial <laughs> project collaboration of, of capturing some footage at the Laughing Tab. Finally going to put all those great photos to use in, in some social posts and have a deeper dive conversation with you. So really grateful for your time today. That's wonderful. I think it's funny how uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, everybody's like, oh man, I have all this time and I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And then as time has gone by, we're like, time is a construct. I don't know what day it is. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I know. In a sense, I talked to you yesterday <laughs> and in yeah. a sense, yeah. No. Um, so I'm going to start this interview uh, with the question I start all these interviews with. So do you remember a time early in life that you experienced art in a way that impacted you deeply, that stuck with you? Oh, man. I love this question. Um, and it, it took me a long time to think about it because I, I started thinking, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember like this theater performance I went to or this uh, music show that I saw. And I thought more about it. And I was like, wait, it goes even deeper than that. And I think it was mostly my mom loved the arts and she started to take me to see like classical music and um, I saw an opera once when I was very young and she took me to see Broadway shows and things like that and it was like my mom and my dad would do that stuff together but then as I got a little bit older maybe I was maybe around 10 or 11 years old She's like, oh, I think he's going to like this more than your dad. So, you know, <laughs> would take me instead. So they had like season, you know, tickets to the symphony in Ohio where I grew up. And so maybe every fourth one, they had like maybe one a year, she would take me instead of my dad. And I was just, you know, again, maybe just barely double digits, maybe 10 years old, but to hear a symphony in this giant room and to feel music like that for the first time, it affected me in a deep way. And, mm. you know, to be able to see theater productions and, and musicals and things like that, I, I ended up, I'm not really a huge fan of musicals, but I do love the production side of things as I'm sure we'll get into at some point. Um, but to me, it, it taught me so much at an early age, like, wow, there's something artistic that is way bigger than me or the other people in this room it's you know it's something that has actually like changed something inside of me mm. so that felt pretty good about art <laughs> yeah yeah when did you start uh getting engaged in creating art yourself i think i don't know so that's a very gray line as far as my memories concerned because it's just always been there 
but I think um, as a young kid, I was I was always mimicking things that I saw on television and in movies. I remember at an incredibly young age, I was running around the house trying to be Indiana Jones. And my, you know, those movies came out in the like early 80s, early to mid 80s. And I was young uh, at that time and uh, would just tumble around the house thinking that I was going to be an archaeologist. And then um, it was one of those things that as I got a little bit older, I realized that there were ways I could be involved in this. So I think in like seventh or eighth grade, the first time that there were like plays that you could be a part of. And I, I think even before that, like in elementary school, there was um, op, like little plays where you're like standing there being a tree or something. But even that, like I got involved with like, wow, there's, there's an aspect to building a set, you know, or costumes and that type of thing at a very young age was very fascinating to me. So I think I just started to really mimic things that I saw in my environment. And then when I realized that that was something I could be a part of, I really jumped on that. And I was involved with theater very early on. And then in high school, I wasn't just on stage, but I was involved in the back end of things with tech. And then it just grew and grew and grew from there. It's funny to hear you mention the being a tree when you were young. I was just reminiscing the other day on- Were you also a tree? Close. I was in a play at Sun Prairie Civic Theater, and I don't remember what the, you know, what the topic of the play was really, but I know the characters were all nature elements, mm-hmm. and it was like moss and acorn and oak, and I was definitely moss. So, one, you know, one of my first- first little acting experiences was as Moss, I guess. That's great. You know, I'm sure That's I learned a, something. You got to cover that kind of <laughs> part of a play. Sorry for the break. There it is. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be plenty of those today. <laughs> I love it. That's great. So you, you grew up in Ohio. So yeah. can you tell us more about your Milwaukee origin story? What got you here and what's, what's convinced you to stick around? Yeah. Um, I guess... So kind of funny side story to that. I had been coming to Wisconsin for for a number of years prior to ever really realizing that I was in Wisconsin. My dad was a pilot um, and flew small planes, not commercially or anything, but um, we would go out to EAA Oshkosh every year and go camping, um, you know, under the plane wing and things like that. And I didn't like, again, I was pretty young and I didn't connect that uh, Oshkosh was in Wisconsin. So then flash forward years later, I was looking at schools to go to college and I was looking at a place pretty close to Columbus, but I just, I had grown up there. I spent, you know, the majority of my life in that town and I didn't really want to be there anymore. So just kind of by accident, there was a, a, my da- a client of my dad's, his daughter, went to St. Norbert and she was a year older than me and that my dad had a business meeting with him and he's just like hey how do you even begin to look at schools and so they were like well why don't you go look at that school and just kind of see so I visited St. Norbert and I remember it was February and there was six feet of snow on the ground like I had they were just piled up on the side of the sidewalks. I had never seen anything like that in my life. And yet something drew me 
to the state of Wisconsin. And, and even though I was terrified by that much weather, I still felt like I needed to be around here. So flash forward, I went to school there, big surprise. And then flash forward, I, I moved back to Ohio, which is not what I wanted. And I did some work out there for, uh, as a theater artist for a year and a half. And then I was talking to some friends that lived in Milwaukee and I, I wanted to move to LA or to New York, mm-hmm. anywhere but Ohio or Wisconsin. <laughs> and they're like, well, why don't you just come to Milwaukee and stay here for a year while you figure things out? And that year turned into now 16 years as of uh, last month. So I I came here, I fell in love with the city. I love the architecture here. I love the level of creativity that the city of Milwaukee has and then the people that live and work here have an incredible ability to be creative. And I think a lot of people don't even realize they're in such an amazing creative city unless you really stop and look around and realize like, wow, there's a bunch of cool stuff here. and so for me, I just, I came here and I didn't want to leave. And it, it compounded to the point that in the first year that I was here, I ended up starting what was then called the Milwaukee Sketch and Improv Festival that turned into mm-hmm. the Comedy Festival. But even at that time, I was like, name it after the city we're in. And then shortly thereafter, named the company that I started, Milwaukee Comedy, LLC. And I met my uh, now wife and everything. So it was just that first like year, year and a half. Um, I just kind of dove into everything that the city had to offer. And I just completely fell in love with, uh, you know, the ability to want to create, I think is encouraged here. Mm-hmm. And um, I really latched onto that. Mm-hmm. I hope that even blatantly, I, does that even answer your question or did I just babble on too much? No, it definitely does. <laughs> and it's a perfect segue to uh, giving our listeners a bit of an overview of of what your whole career and all the things you've created in Milwaukee have been. Um, so I hope if you don't mind, I'll give them just a brief, brief background yeah. and then ask you to share more. I'd rather you do that because <laughs> I kind of forget half the time that this is actually a career. Like I'm not just like throwing, you know, putting shows on here and there, like, you know, right. as a hobby, like I used to, it's like what I do for a living. So right. You, you know. Over time it's built now. It's, it's yeah. official now. You're official now. It's a little <laughs> bit official now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, I think you have to be one of the busiest and smartest people in Milwaukee and certainly in Milwaukee's comedy community and production and production community. Um, so among other things. Um, You founded Milwaukee Comedy, like you just mentioned, which uh, is the area's largest production company. And you put on, in normal times, right, more than 150 shows every year. Um, Something like that, yeah. Something like that. No big deal. Um, You founded and produced uh, the Milwaukee Comedy Festival, um, which has been going strong for 14 years. Um, You're a co-founder of the four-year-old Milwaukee Fringe Festival, um, which I noted, unfortunately, because of COVID this year. We won't be able to enjoy that. Um, um, And then from 2012 to 2020, you were the founder and manager of the Underground Collaborative, an arts venue in downtown Milwaukee that served as a home for performances and rehearsals of many theater and arts groups. uh, And I'll be you know, eager to talk to you more about that in particular as well. And then now you own the Laughing Tap, a comedy <laughs> club on Fit South Fifth Street, just to add something else to the mix, uh, a real, a real physical comedy club. Um, and you just opened that earlier this year. Um, yeah. We were at one of your first shows back in February. Is that right? I, yeah, yeah, I think that was right. Yeah. Um, how have you done all of this? How is, how is it all kind of, how is it, you know, built 
like to your point of of now this is now this is a real career like how is it built upon each other and how has how have you found the right collaborators maybe why has milwaukee been the right place to find find those partners and build build all these awesome sure. endeavors so I'll, I'll answer that in a couple of parts if that's okay yeah. the first thing i want to say is there's no way especially the last number of years um there's no way i could have done all this without my two co-producers greg and caitlin the two of them are um uh, unfortunately they're a lot like me <laughs> they're maybe just as crazy but yeah. we're all just so passionate about um the art that we love and um, so I do, I want to just give them a quick shout out and, and make sure people understand that like nothing that I've done has been by myself. Maybe some of the motivation has been, uh, selfish, but for the most part, it, there's been a lot of people over the years that have impacted, you know, what I've done and which is therefore impacted the city and mm -hmm. what we've been able to offer. Mm -hmm. Um, but kind of backtracking a little bit, um, it was all by accident. <laughs> <laughs> I I honestly I one thing that's interesting about Milwaukee is some cities you can go to and there's a lot of resources all ready to go and it's like oh you want to do this thing here you go mm -hmm. and I know Milwaukee has a real emptiness for that which is kind of where you know what you do um, is sort of miraculous because um, what Imagine MKE has been able to done do, uh, if I can talk correctly, <laughs> is try to fill that void of emptiness, of lack of resources and things like that. So um, what I found about Milwaukee is it's an incredible city where a, a large number of people would be like, wow, what an awesome idea you should do that well see you later and i don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that but it's kind of a weird attitude to be like hey everybody i want to get people together to do this and people are like cool let me know when it's finished and maybe i'll check it out and and that's something that i found sort of fascinating early on but i also have this kind of personality if you couldn't tell from me shouting into this microphone that i got a lot of energy and i want to be able to, if, if there isn't an ability to do something, then I'm, okay, I'll just do it myself. Um, so in a way, that environment in Milwaukee really pushed me to do the things that I was doing. So in my early career, the Comedy Fest came about because there was just a bunch of small comedy groups doing improv and sketch and, excuse me, and, um, some were in people's basements, some were just being performed, you know, in these random locations. So the idea of this comedy festival was, hey, let's just get people together and do a big show. And as a joke, I'll call it the first annual uh, Milwaukee Sketch and Improv. This will never happen again. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. Um, well, then we did it again. Mm -hmm. and again and again and over time after about the third year we added stand-up to the mix and it's funny because the theater and comedy scenes go through this kind of rhythm mm -hmm. so when i was first starting out there was a very large you know sketch and improv scene happening mm -hmm. and then there was very little stand-up outside of the professional clubs and at the time the professional clubs didn't um actually book local performers mm -hmm. so there was this need and desire to create a venue or a, 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 a conduit if you will for people to enjoy live comedy so nobody else was doing it i guess i'll just do that and um 
so then the name changed about three years into the Milwaukee Comedy Festival. And like you said, it, it, we've done 14 of those. Um, and it's interesting because Milwaukee Comedy as an entity kind of started the same way. We were doing this festival once a year and then it was like, well, wow, it costs money. You need money to put things like this <laughs> on, which none of us have. So I started to just do like a fundraiser show halfway through the year and mm -hmm. that helped pay for the, the festival. And then it was like, well, what if we did two or three shows in a year? What? Tripling the number of shows we do in a year. That's crazy. <laughs> and then it was every other month and then it was every month. And then, um, you know, prior to the pandemic, we were pushing upwards of 14 to 20 shows a month. Wow. Which is insane. Yeah. It's yeah. insane. And and it was never our, and we didn't sit down with a sheet of paper and say, we need to be putting on 20 shows. A lot of it came naturally. Like I said, over each year, we kind of added a couple more shows. It became once a month and once a week and then two shows a, a week. And then sometimes we're doing two or three shows every week and it's just the math, you know, math. Right. Once, you've got, <laughs> once you've got the formula down, you can just recreate it pretty, pretty easily. <laughs> so yeah. something interesting happened a number of years ago, all of the comedy clubs eventually closed. And part of that, I professionally speaking, I think a lot of that happened because they had been around for a very long time and comedy clubs that were built in the 80s and, and around that time, early 90s, had a very specific business model that was followed across the country. And it was, you know, you did things this way. And over time, that model, I think, unless you were able to change the way that you did things, which is difficult to do. Mm -hmm. um, if you've been doing something the same way for 20 years and it works, and then one day it's just kind of not working, it's difficult to go back and say, okay, what can we do different? So unfortunately, a lot of those clubs started to close. Mm -hmm. At one point, um, there was three major clubs just in the city of Milwaukee. Um, and then around the time that I moved to town, a couple years after I moved to town, Giggles, that was in Brookfield, that one closed, or I guess it was actually in like um, Menominee Falls area. Mm. And then there was Jokers and Comedy Cafe. And then both of those closed about three-ish years ago, four years ago. So we at the time, and I'm sorry, I babble. You no, can feel no, free it's great. It. <laughs> we, we're at the point where we were doing shows specifically on like a Thursday or a Tuesday so that we weren't competing with the clubs. And sure. then there was like a year where we're like, why aren't we doing shows on the weekends? Cause there's no clubs. What so we spaces were you um, putting on shows at, at that time? Oh, and good question. Kind of the transition so, between like traditional clubs and, and non-traditional. Yeah. And, and we still do a lot of our, what we call now remotes, but um, keg standup is a good example at Lakefront Brewery uh, mm -hmm. at, when you know that show's going on, it's the number one comedy show in uh, in the city, the st number one stand-up show, and it's amazing because on a Sunday night we can get over two hundred people into that room, and it's wow. sold out every single month. Um, so it's very sad that we don't have that show right now. But um, that came out of a partnership with the Comedy Fest. That Lakefront was a very early on sponsor of wanting to support what we were doing. And then it got to the point that we got very good at putting shows on in smaller venues. Mm -hmm. But um, different art galleries, places like um, the, our, uh, one of the longest running comedy shows in the city, Subjective, takes place at Bar Gallery. Mm -hmm. And that show has been going on for, I want to say, like five years now maybe even a little bit more I mean, it's kind of hard to keep track of that with the pandemic but 
Um, we do a regular show at the um, Paps uh, Captain Pilot House mm, uh, yeah. in the Paps Brewery area. Yeah. Um, and then uh, my former venue, the UC, we were doing a number of shows. They're usually like one or two a month, you know, at that venue and, and a number of others. So yeah. um, it was at the time, it was a matter of just cr trying to create comedy in these different venues all over the city to sort of bring comedy to people. And then as, you know, we grew to the point where a couple of years ago, we realized the clubs were closed. We, we shifted our schedule from like Wednesdays and Thursdays to Fridays and Saturdays. And then all of a sudden we were doing shows every Friday and Saturday. So that immediately meant that we were doing two, four, six, eight shows a month, no mm -hmm. matter what. And then it was, well, we also still have this Wednesday show and we still have this random Sunday show and we have that. So I was like, okay, we're doing 10 to 12 shows. And then we made a conscious effort um, a year ago. We looked at, and we're, our, our biggest fear was oversaturating the market. And by creating too much comedy, we were afraid we were gonna be competing with ourselves. But the scary thing is, is that it was working and um, we were able to produce shows on that level, which brought us to the level of, of being able to open the club. So yeah. again, that was completely by accident too. I had an issue with a different venue where we were having issues with the heat and it was getting extremely hot and the building wasn't willing to do anything to fix mm. that. So I was looking for a temporary place to just put the comedy festival on. And um, it ended up, uh, the VAR gallery owner, Josh, um, I was like, hey, we talked a while ago about spaces, just whatever. And he's like, I don't have any of those. But there's this random space that might be available if you wanna look at it. It ended up uh, being, the laughing tap space it was absolutely the perfect spot for us and so that's uh 15 years of comedy history in wow. a short period of time. <laughs> sorry it took so long no it's wonderful what was the what was the process of getting into the laughing tap then what was it before i forget it was a brewery it was and, a brewery uh, okay so it was built out it was before that before that it was a garage and mm -hmm. um and then it was an art gallery kind of space with a uh, garage and then it was built out for the Brenner Brewing Company. Um, and so the back half of the room was all the equipment and the front half of the room was a built out bar tap room. Mm -hmm. So what we really needed our, you know, we had like a five-year plan and we were really only like two years into our five-year plan when this building came up, but it was, it was very much a right time, right place kind of a situation. If you forget the pandemic has happened. And, um, and so it was one of those like, Hey, this building's going to be available and nobody knows it. And we need somebody to take it over. And they, um, who's it going to be? And it was one of those, like, uh, Sprecher had taken it over from Brenner and Sprecher was using it, but there was a rumor that Sprecher didn't want to renew that lease and they weren't planning on staying. Mm. So to kind of, sorry, to kind of actually answer your question, um, our, la the landlord of the building, Jose, really nice guy. And Josh recommended that we just talk to him and just kind of see what he said. And when we talked to him, he basically said, that he wanted something other than a brewery or a restaurant to move in there. He was looking for something in that neighborhood that made sense to bring people to make that area a destination. And he th said, you know, a comedy club would be a really good fit for that. And I'm like, well, gee, I just happened to know a guy. <laughs> um, 
So on our end, what was very important was we wanted to be street level access. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I loved the UC, one of the, the biggest disadvantages of that space was being inside of another building in a basement. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was difficult to find if you hadn't been there before. And, um, you know, it didn't have street access. So therefore, people walking by have no idea that this place is downstairs. So we needed something that was street access. We needed um, something that had some kind of build out already to just have a giant empty space with nothing in there. We didn't, we knew we didn't have half a million dollars to build a space out right away. Um, in time we would, but not right away. Yeah. So this space, it just checked all the boxes. It's in Walker's point. It was in a neighborhood that we love and wanted to be a part of. It's mm-hmm. easy street access, it uh, completely handicapped accessible. You know, all of those things were very important to us. And on top of that, there was an owner of the building that was looking for something that we had. And again, it was just, it felt like luck in a lot of ways. It was a lot of right place, right time. It literally was, hey, I wonder if this is out there. And then all of a sudden it just, this kind of appeared. (laughs) And a pretty, pretty perfect culmination of a lot of, a lot of years of hard work of, of placing comedy in other, in other spots and now getting to have your own home that you control all of the all of the elements of and the schedule of and, and having that new level of flexibility sounds really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, pandemic aside, really. Yeah, <laughs> we'll just forget that ever happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so before, as you mentioned before that, you had, you had the space, the Underground Collaborative, which I had the opportunity to visit a few times and, and go to a couple shows at. And unfortunately, that's a that's a casualty of the pandemic, isn't it? Um, so interested in, in hearing more about what, you know, in, in memoriam, what were you proudest of of that space? You know, from my understanding of it, it was really meant to be a home where uh, a variety of artistic endeavors could find an affordable place to practice and perform uh, downtown, which is hard to come by. Um, I love that. I wish we were still open just so I could steal that for the website. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You can have it. But I think, I think what I'm interested in is that, that I hope that there's some, some spirit of that that can be brought into whatever you or someone else does next after the pandemic to create a similar space. So like yeah. talk a little bit about that, about that work and, and um, yeah, what you're proudest of, of being a part and leading that, that space. Yeah. There's so much to be proud of. Um, and I got to go back again to the people. Um, I, I did a lot of the physical build out. I built the stage and risers and whatever, and that's great. But without the people, that place would have been nothing. And, um, and not just the people that use the space, not just the staff, not just the volunteers, not just the people that bought tickets, but a combination of all of those people is really what the UC was. Um, to me, that, I'm, I'm so sad to see it go. I've, luckily, there's been some time, it's been about two months since I had to close it. I was an absolute mess mm. um, the first couple of weeks. because it, it was eight years of my life. I had literally dedicated mm every bit of blood, sweat, and tears that I have, you know, to that space. There were a number of times that we didn't know if we were going to make it. Um, there were a number of times uh, I told my staff, 
years later, but there were a few times I didn't know if we were going to be around the next month to month. It was very difficult, but it was so worth every bit of that aggravation and anguish over the years because to be able to create a space that anybody could come and use is sort of unprecedented. I actually, I had a couple of people that had taken tours that told me, are you aware that there's maybe only a dozen places like this in the entire world? And of those spaces, you know, yours is unique because of this, this, and this. Like, there's spaces just like this, except they're not for the arts. It's for a business incubator. Or there's spaces yeah. like this for the arts, but, you know, they don't rent space. Or, you know, there's a lot of interesting things that I learned. And I wasn't trying to do anything spectacular. I just really needed space at the time. <laughs> but to get back to your question, the, I'll tell you. I, I wrote this in a private email to everybody when we knew we were closing. I, I sent an email specifically to the groups that were currently renting from us that were sort of been around for a number of years. And mm-hmm. um, I'll share what I told them that it wasn't really public. But I said, what to me, the greatest moment of the UC was after a long day, I would be there eight, nine, 10 hours with nobody there. It would be totally empty because it's during the day and all of the rehearsals and shows and everything happened at night. And it would be like hour 10 or 12 or even 14 of my day. And the space would be filled with people. There would be maybe 10 people in one room doing a rehearsal a Shakespeare show and another 15 people in another room doing a, a rehearsal for a comedy show. And there would be a dance class happening and there would be the recording studio would have somebody recording a, a beat or you know putting an album together. And there would be a show going on in the theater. And all of this activity, there might be 150 people, 200 people in the space at the same time. But I would walk through the halls and the lights would be dim and you wouldn't, I would be the only one in the hallway and I would just hear all of this activity. And it brought me the most joy to be able to look at the amazing art on the walls and to be able to hear progress being made and creativity and to hear an audience reacting in unison, whether they were all on the edge of their seats because there's a suspenseful show and they're, oh my God, this is so powerful and incredible and I'm, I'm, I'm growing as a person watching this or everybody's on the edge of their seat laughing their butts off because it's a comedy show. And again, you have, you know, 10 different things happening in this giant space all at the same time, all in unison. And I would just walk through the halls before I left for the day and I would just, it would almost bring a tear to my eye to, to be surrounded by so much amazingness. Mm. So many people that were able to create. Yeah. And in the end, when we had to, to close, I, I received, I mean, I couldn't even tell you, maybe, no joke, maybe a thousand messages. Wow. In all, private emails, Facebook posts. Um, you know, I couldn't, I was literally overwhelmed with the number of correspondence I received mm-hmm. from people that I did. I let somebody rent space, you know, first year we were open eight years ago and they write me from New York and say, I never would have been a professional mm-hmm. at doing what I'm doing now if I never had the opportunity so many years ago. And I'm like, I didn't, all I had was keys. I opened the door for people and, and, 
your motivation and your ability to to recognize your talent and want to create is what made you who you are. But so many people coming back and saying that space affected me in such a way that now I do this thing and that affects my life every single day. There, the people meeting in the hallway that got married and are now have kids. Wow. I mean, things <laughs> on that level, literally yeah. I've had people, that was something that I, I was almost crying, not because the UC closed, but because those moments wouldn't be able to happen again. Right. right. So to kind of go back to what you were asking, I think that the UC was so much more than that place. Mm -hmm. It was that atmosphere that was created there. And I think that continues to live on in a lot of people and will and will continue to influence people for a very long time. And to me, that brings me the, the highest level of joy I could ever have. That to me feels like we had to close the UC and that really sucks and it made me cry and I was in a rough place, but you know what? It accomplished its mission on such a deep level mm -hmm. that I can be proud of that. You know, that's something that I'm gonna remember and be proud of for the rest of my life. Um, Absolutely, and yeah. So, to me, I think to half answer your question, that that space will forever live on in our hearts, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I would love to see somebody else want to open a space like that. I mm -hmm. would love to have a space like that again, but I don't know if I ever could. It was a real challenge. Um, yeah. But like I said, the, it, it took many, many years for me to be able to look back and realize, wow really, really accomplished something there. And again, it was all of the people that were involved that made it the kind of place that it was. Um, it was, you know, just, I saw some of the coolest art I've ever seen in my life and I'll never yeah. see it again because it was in that space. Stuff that had no budget, that never would have been created if they didn't have the ability. That resource, yeah. Have that yeah. So for that, I'm, I'm eternally grateful. And I think that is what the UC truly was. Wow. What an incredible legacy. I'm glad to hear that you had that outpouring of support um, from folks to help you navigate that transition. Cause it's what a, what a sad, what a sad loss. And I, I hope that as we come out of pan, this crazy pandemic time, that that sort of magic and space can be found again, yeah. you know, um, at least in a space like the underground collaborative, at least one, right. And hopefully many more than that. Yeah. Uh, I think that Milwaukee's creative community deserves that kind of support. Um, and you certainly led the charge in providing that for so many years. Um, I also think about when you gave us a tour of the space, you, your office was filled with, uh, with, a whole bunch of, I'm sure you know the number, a whole bunch of rubber chickens, which is now, which is like your signature thing. But, um, you know, you, you, I feel like the story you told about it was more humble than necessary. There's one. Oh my gosh. It's flying. It's everyone, to be here. everyone, I, a flying rubber chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that it was incredible. You know, it's, it's a little bit funny. It's like the symbol of the comedy festival. And so it has that connection, but I, you, I think you told us that you started using it as, as a symbol of, of your comedy work. Of course, it's already a symbol of comedy, but then people started giving you 
rubber chickens of all shapes yep. and sizes yes. as a gift. And I thought to like, look at how many rubber chickens you had in your office that were all gifts was a pretty like remarkable visual representation of how much people value you and are grateful for you. I think that- oh, I never thought of it like that. Thank you for <laughs> um, I, I honestly don't know how many I have. And um, funny story, actually, uh, I was packing up my office and I had to literally had to find a separate container just to put all the rubber chickens in because there's so sure. many. I mean, because there's like full sized ones. There's like this little the little keychain sized one. I have some that are even like half the size of this. And um, oh. it's like a ridiculous number. And also just like I've received paintings the artists at the gallery they each t made a rubber chicken for me one year for um april fool's day and they did an <laughs> april fool's day gallery showing at the uc and they made the the entire guest part of the gallery all rubber chicken paintings and it was amazing i have them all i kept every one of them and um eventually they'll all go back up in an office again but um I had so many, I packed them all up and then uh, I was like, okay, cool. There's a box of chicken. That's a lot. <laughs> a very cocky box. And a few days later, I'm starting in on the, the bar area of the UC to, to pack up all that stuff. And there's more chickens and there's so many, they don't fit in the box. And I had to find a new box and repack. And I was just like, Nobody in the world has this kind of a ridiculous problem where I'm like, there's too many chickens. There's too many. <laughs> so um, I'll give you a little, a little fun surprise at the tap. I just, I talked to my producers and they of course love the idea. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to start hiding them around and eventually uh, I'll make a, a master key. And if you can come in and you can find every one of them, uh, maybe I'll give you a free drink, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's going to be like a Where's Waldo, but with I rubber. love it. Yeah. I love it. That's some great whimsy. Yeah. I will, uh, I'll, I'll be like in there looking for like, those rubber chickens. <laughs> yeah. I like that you um, remembered that aspect of the tour that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who else, Matt, has like a whole bunch of artists put on a gallery show of paintings of rubber chickens for them? Yeah, I'll tell you, I <laughs> I have had some weird experiences. And again, that's that's one of those memories. I'm just like, wow, what an amazing thing to walk in. Like, that's, that is just such a crazy thing. And it was one of the best days, you know, to yeah. just walk in and be like, whoa, what's going on here? And then they're like, yeah, these are all for you. I'm like, Oh, nobody yeah. else would appreciate this like me. Yeah, so. that's awesome. Uh, so I, I feel like we touched on this a bit, but curious to, to ask this question in this way, get your perspective. What's unique about Milwaukee's comedy scene? Um, what might those who are not already super familiar with comedy in general um, or, or Milwaukee's comedy community be surprised to learn? One thing that's amazing about Milwaukee, again, is the level of talent. What I felt from the very beginning is um, there's an amazing level of creativity. And I think that comics have a real opportunity, if, especially comics that are starting out in this town. It's a supportive community for one. They're typically, when there's no pandemic, that's our um, keyword of the day, <laughs> is there's typically an open mic every single night of the week. 
if you take a similar city of our size anywhere in the country, that's very rare. You mm. usually need a much larger city to, you know, Chicago has multiple mics every night of the week. But we see comics from Chicago have come into Milwaukee because they can get more stage time. You might be able to get mm. five minutes on stage um, as opposed to two or three minutes in a larger city. Um, a place like New York, you're lucky if you're going to get two or three. If you get three minutes in New York, you're doing pretty good. Yeah. Um, so how do you, you know, put together a 20 minute set if you're only allowed to go up a few minutes at a time? So I feel like Milwaukee has a lot of really wonderful opportunities for comics. And again, there are opportunities. Some comics, might, might, I'm a perfect example. It didn't exist. So I started a show. We needed a showcase kind of show at the time. So we started one. And then I would, I would encourage people if they're trying to create their art, whether it's comedy or theater or dance or any, any medium, if you're trying to create your art and you're not finding a way to do it, put yourself out there. And I feel like that Milwaukee is a very supportive town in that you can, you can try your thing and you're going to be able to find somebody that likes that same thing as you. So Milwaukee just has great opportunities. And again, because the talent level is where it is, it might take a comic in a different city. And, I'm, and I don't even mean Chicago. I mean a, a comparable city. You take a city like Detroit or Columbus, where I'm from, which is, it has a comedy scene now. It didn't used to, but now it's really starting to build up as a great place for comedy. Or, but you go to other towns and it might take you a certain number of years to get that level of talent under your belt or that much level of um, uh, experience under your mm -hmm. belt. Mm -hmm. But in Milwaukee, I think the time spent on, on creativity is valued more. If that makes sense, mm -hmm. there's, you can get good feedback here. You, you know, again, the, the community is supportive. So I have comics all the time that come to me and say, Hey, I want to try comedy. What, what do I do? What if people don't like me or this? like, well, the open mic scene is fairly, open and and supportive and if people know that you're new and you haven't done it before you just let them know and they're gonna let you go up there and try something and if you don't know how to do it you can ask somebody that has done it before and say hey what could i do to improve you know and yeah. if it's your first time ever there's gonna be a lot of things you need to know you're not gonna know how to hold the microphone the right way you're not gonna know how to you know what you look like on stage you need to be aware of how you're presenting yourself to people mm -hmm. and a joke may or may not land correctly because you're not presenting yourself the right way. So a lot of those like little tiny things I feel like can come somewhat easily to a comic in Milwaukee because there are people that are willing to help. Um, but you have to ask, you have to be willing to put yourself out there. If you're just doing your thing and you're not good at it and you're not getting any feedback and you're not asking any questions, then you may not improve. Right. Um, and again, I would say that's that's true for the art scene as well. You know, there's the there's a lot of amazing ability to to create, but you also need to make sure that you're going about it professionally. You need to make sure that you're you're trying hard. You're not just doing the same thing over and over without um, improving. If that right. makes sense, right? Yeah, there's space for experimentation here. Yes, and a community that's willing to support you in that. Yeah. 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 Like I kind of mentioned earlier, talking about the UC, some of the most unique, mostly theater, but even like abstract art or even um, performance art, some of the best I have ever seen have been 
these tiny little shows in like one of the rehearsal rooms, like that 10 people can be in at a time. And I mean, I've seen incredible work in not just the theater, but in those side rooms because people just wanted to take, oh, oh you know, I don't think I can fill a hundred seats. Could I just do something with 10 people here? I'm like, yes, yes, you can. You should do that because yeah. it might just be one of the coolest things I've ever seen. I think one of the one of the things that might be unique about Milwaukee is that in in comedy and in theater and in art in general that there maybe because to a lot of the public this the fact that we have such a robust art and creative scene is a bit of a surprise it is that there's that there's room for like our community and our audience to be really comfortable with trying something new with yeah. like going to something that is going to be unfamiliar but that you know is is gonna enrich them in some way they're gonna walk away feeling like oh i learned something new about like this community that i live in i learned something new about myself about the world and that like hopefully that there's space to cultivate that sort of sense of exploration and wonder as a part of the milwaukee experience right given yeah. especially given like our city's history of of making and like tangibly making you know <laughs> um things uh but that 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 translates into into um respecting and being excited about like the, the creation and making of of art too yeah absolutely and i actually like what you were kind of i i don't know if this is exactly what you were referring to but the idea that milwaukee it comes from a manufacturing background yeah it exactly. comes from a we make beer here we make you know leather we make <laughs> all right. you know yeah. very specific industries but there is an underlying work ethic to wanting to build something like hey you know what we're gonna make beer here no 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 screw you we're gonna make all the beer here <laughs> and there is this level of ownership and you know uh, you think about it like old school brands you know schlitz the beer that made milwaukee famous um you know to make it to use that as your advertising campaign hey you've heard of milwaukee because of this beer right. and now it's the complete opposite it's like oh milwaukee now i'm thinking about beer or you know whatever you might be thinking of there's some good cheese around here too but <laughs> <laughs> but i i didn't think about it on that level but i think that's a big part of it too we come from this blue collar manufacturing world and that's ingrained in our culture as as midwesterners and as milwaukeeans and i think yeah why not why isn't that's got to be the reason why the arts are that way too right on that note what do you think what do you think the future looks like for Milwaukee arts and culture at large? Um, maybe for the city at large, what do you hope for the city at large? Uh, what are some of our strengths as an artistic community and what are some of our areas for growth? So I don't really know where to begin with this one because it's difficult for me to look at the art scene outside of the climate that we're in in this moment because this has been our reality for six months now almost um it's what i'm seeing at this moment and i think this is true in the arts community and in the comedy world unfortunately people are getting upset and there is a lot of there's just there's a lot of anger and uncertainty in the world obviously mm -hmm. and that has always affected the arts 
Um, I'm sure you, you know, you look at your art and theater history, you know that a large portion of some of the best art created was basically, uh, screw you to the government, we're trying to speak our mind and it's really, this is a play, but it's really a veil for how you're treating us mm -hmm. citizens, you know, that's a very important, um, concrete base for why art exists. Yeah. And so I look at the art world now and I see that it gets very clicky. It gets very um, emotional. And a lot of people right now, small theater companies, large theater companies, independent theater artists. And again, I'm just relating to the theater world just because that's a world that I'm more related to. Uh, I, I would guess it falls into the other arts as well. But you have the big guys are really trying hard to just stay afloat right now. Yeah. The little guys are really trying to hard to stay afloat right now. The independent artists are really trying to stay afloat right now. Everybody is in the exact same situation, but everybody's sort of not on the same page. Everybody's sort of, it's me, not you. It's, it's us or them. And mm -hmm. that I think can be a very dangerous place to be. And it, to me, it's an unproductive way to be. I, I mentioned uh, early on in the interview that the art scene has this kind of rhythm to it where there's ups and downs. And there was a period of time where there was very few, if no small to medium theater companies. There was the larger ones and then not really much of an independent theater scene at all. Sure. And then a bunch of little theater companies kind of started and started to do their thing and it grew and it became this thing. And now some of those small companies are the medium-sized companies. Some of those medium-sized companies are now large companies. And then you have this base and right at this moment that base is not doing well, I don't think. There is a lot of people doing art but there isn't any focus. There aren't people trying to support one another as much as I think if there wasn't a pandemic, as much as if there wasn't a Black Lives Matter movement or a Me Too movement or the kind of political situation that we're in where every single citizen is affected. And not just us, the entire world is affected. And I think that's what people are sort of forgetting is mm -hmm. in the beginning, we're all in this together. Months go by and none of us want to be in this situation anymore. And it's hard not to kind of internalize that and feel like you're alone, right. especially with, you know, should the government be telling us to wear a mask or not? Should, you know, there's, there's issues at stake that are so much bigger than ourselves. Mm -hmm. And what I think at the moment, what needs to happen is the art needs to come together and work together. And it's okay if your art is different from my art or you like blue and I like green. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. We need to figure out a way to support one another so that we can all survive. As they, as they say, you know, the tide raises all boats, right? right. However, I butchered that phrase. <laughs> so I think that people need to spend more time looking at how they can help their fellow artists as opposed to just helping themselves. Mm -hmm. Because something that I have learned more times than I can count over the years is that producing whatever, like if you're trying to sell tickets, if that's what I do for a living, so you're trying to sell tickets or you're trying to sell your art, you, you need to sell this much of your art. There's 
wait, let me get in the video. There's this many people buying it. It's even past the monitor. There's this many people buying art. You're only trying to sell this much art. Right. Why are you worried about everybody else? There's plenty of art to go around. Right. You, you know, the Riverside can bring in thousands of people to one music show, to one comedy show. I need to fill, say, four months ago, I needed to fill a hundred seats. That is a very small portion of what the Riverside is doing. So why can't we all work together? The same with the theater companies. There, there might be, and this is probably a low estimate, but there might be 10,000 people in town that want to see live theater. Mm. You only need 50 to 100, you know? You might only need 20 of those people. So the thing that has always bothered me is when people say, don't go see their show, see my show, or don't appreciate their mm -hmm. art, appreciate my art. Well, guess what? You should appreciate as much art as possible. The, the most fulfilling aspect in my life has not been working on one show. It's working on, I mean, I can't turn it off. It's working on all the shows. The <laughs> was such a special place because there wasn't one thing happening there at a time. There right. were lots of things happening there at a time. And that's also financially speaking, that's what kept the place open. If, if we could only have one thing at a time, we would have had to charge a rate that wasn't that was beneficial. Prohibited. Yeah, yeah. So I, I went on a bit of a tangent, a tangent there, and I do apologize, but no, to it's me, fantastic. Don't apologize. I feel like there's a lot of anger, and people are directing the anger at each other. And what people should be doing is is taking that anger and putting it behind their creativity and using that as a way to propel what you want to do. Right. Right. But that's just me. That was so fantastically said. And it, it, <laughs> the part where I was just like, that's me. No, all, all of it was so fantastically said. And what other choice do we have right now? Honestly, I mean, as this, as this stretches on, we're going to have to be able to band together as a community to continue to think of solutions for a variety of problems that we still yeah. don't yet know. We're, we're only six months in, unfortunately, yeah. very well, depressingly. Um, and, we don't know what the future will hold, um, which is, which is tough. And I, and to hear you describe that, I think people are internalizing that uncertainty and letting it affect the way that they want to work with others and collaborate with others. That's, yeah. that that's a really, really interesting and tough point as well. And that we're missing that, that, that really tangible, not to oversimplify it, but we're missing that opportunity to, um, engage in person, in work, in conversations, in like making and experiencing art in a way that even in that climate, it's hard to overcome a sense of competition. It's hard to foster a true sense of collaboration yeah. and then to try and replicate that in a digital space yes. is all the harder, but also all the more necessary right now. I, I agree. I think we need it more than ever. And that's the thing is we're only getting a small percentage of what we truly need. It's, it's like, it's nourishment, you know, it's, yeah. if you're, if you're eating a salad every day and running, you know, five miles every day and stretching and exercising, you really take care of yourself. And then the pandemic happens and you spend twice as much time on the couch. And you, I mean, I'm talking personally here, uh, <laughs> although I never ran or ate salads, but, um, <laughs> 
but you, your body changes and all of a sudden you're just not as motivated and, but you still need to be giving yourself that level of nourishment that you were used to before. And to me, that's really what's happening with the arts is we still need to laugh every day. We still need to connect with one another every day. We need, you know, and that is just so difficult right now more than it has ever been. I mean, this, this time period, has you know there's a very small portion of people that were alive the last time that something like this happened <laughs> 100 years ago and i think if it wasn't for things like zoom you know if we weren't able to do this right now we'd just be having a a, a letter writing you know back and forth or you know if this pandemic happened in the 80s i think it would have been a, an incredibly different outcome you know, I mm -hmm. think people would have been hurting on the inside a lot more than they already are. But here, people are hurting more, but they don't realize we still need fulfillment. We still mm -hmm. need to laugh. We still need to be creating art. And um, I think the longer that we have to isolate from one another, the, the harder it is to fulfill. Yeah. yeah. So folks listening that don't know, you <laughs> they actually can come and laugh. At the if laughing you're just tap right in now. now. You're allowed to laugh. This is the advertising <laughs> part of the podcast. No, but uh, they can come to your masked shows. Tell us what what you're doing right now at the laughing tap and what's coming sure. up. Well, quick side note. So we we have a series of videos on the Milwaukee Comedy website and the Laughing Tap website called the Quarantini Tiny Comedy Show. Mm. It's totally free. They're just a bunch of clips. We we brought comics in over the quarantine one at a time in very safe conditions. And um, we, so those are out there. So if I would say right now, if people don't feel safe going out, do not go out. Mm -hmm. Don't go to shows if you're not comfortable doing it. Don't go out if you're not feeling well or if people around you uh, that you've been in contact with haven't been feeling well. Yeah. Watch those clips. They're absolutely free. I am making no money off of you watching those <laughs> clips. So please watch them as much as possible. Um, the comics are all wonderful people and there's some really, really great jokes. Outside of that, we started to do shows just a couple of weeks ago. Um, currently, we are maintaining all of our shows at 20% occupancy. It's very important to us because from the scientific research that we've done uh, independently, it's pretty well known that laughing does accelerate you know, right. any sort of airborne particles. So um, it's, it's important to wear a mask, but we found everybody has been really great to work with, customers, comics, staff, everybody is very understanding. Um, so, uh, not just because the city and state are saying that you need to, but we're requi requiring masks, yeah. if I could get that out. It sounded like I was wearing a mask when I tried <laughs> to get that out. Um, I just got my shipment of hand sanitizer in moments before our Zoom meeting, our Zoom podcast started. Right. So I got that yeah. ready to go for this weekend again. <laughs> Um, and we just a lot of little things like um, the comics themselves each have a, their own microphone. We set up separate mics for each comic. Mm -hmm. um, and we've had comics reach out to us to say, I'm not doing any shows, except I'll do your show because you're taking every precaution. So mm -hmm. it's incredibly important to us that people feel safe. And not just feel safe, but are safe in this environment. So we're keeping everybody spread out six feet apart. 20% for us, laughter is, very, uh, is far more important than the number of tickets we can sell. We're really trying to, to keep this a safe environment. This, we, we don't, we're not trying to have some kind of money grab. We're not just opening. We're, we're opening partially because 
we are desperate to not have to close our doors permanently. That right. is a very real fact. But the honest, true answer is we, it is just so important for us to be able to laugh together. We're trying to do that as safely uh, as we can moving forward. So I don't mean it for it to be such a bummer. We're talking about like comedy, yay! But I'm like, but let's be serious for a moment. <laughs> right. Well, you got to find that balance right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Set up and safe the, environments so that so that we can get that nourishment of laughing. Yeah. yeah laughing. I mean, I want to be able to laugh with you again. I don't want anybody to get sick because they came to the laughing tap and then they yeah. can't laugh with us. Absolutely. Well. Unfortunately, I think we're reaching nearly like the end of our conversation. I do, you know, I'm going to offer an opportunity for us to turn it around. <laughs> so I like to, I like to close these interviews, um, giving you the opportunity to be an amplifier for something you love in Milwaukee's arts and culture scene. So if you'd like to share, would love to have you celebrate uh, something you want to lift up. So it could be a person or a place, uh, a project something that you would like to invite folks to go check out oh my gosh um i can't really think of anything but at the same time i can think of a hundred things right <laughs> um okay so just personal shout out to what you and imagine mke are doing um i want to say thank you for that because the arts are so important i mean per, to me Personally, they're the most important thing. But I think as a society, you know, to truly judge how great a society is, you look at its art. And um, so the things that Imagine MKE are doing, I think are phenomenal. And I've been a part of the art scene in Milwaukee for 15 or so years. And I feel like just in the last year or two, we're finally getting the kind of things that we truly need to take things to the next level. So mm -hmm. thank you to that. Um, but I want to give a shout out to all the individual artists that are that are trying. I have so many friends that were costume and production people that are now making masks. I have so many people that are artists that are still trying to create and just put stuff out there. And, you know, um, Sue Burst from the UC Gallery, she's doing a trivia night. Uh, you know, every day she just jumps on video and just does trivia and she's just trying to bring joy to people. Alice Wilson, a uh, living statue. Um, she's not able to be a living statue at a bunch of public events. So she's literally trying to create a job for herself, cleaning up the Milwaukee River, kayaking up and down it. And, um, you wow. know, that is a huge thing. Like I know a lot of it she's doing because she wants to, she sees something in the city that she can fix and she's doing it because she knows it'll not just fix it for her, but it makes the whole city better. So I think, you know, that's what Sue's doing. That's what Alice is doing. And so, so many other people, I can't even begin to list everybody, but, you know, other friends, you know, are doing actors, they're doing cooking shows and they're just, Hey, let's just live cook online. You know, they're taking yeah. their creativity and they're putting it out there. And guess what? Nick is able to eat the meals that he made for himself, but we all get to, sharing the joy of watching those videos. So um, I think if anything, right now, I would encourage people to do something for yourself that you can put out there into the world and will affect the world. Hopefully positively. <laughs> I love it. Well, it has been a real delight talking with you today, Matt. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat and share your story and your, your 
mission and your work with the world uh, for so many years in Milwaukee and today with our podcast audience. So thanks, You're Matt. You're welcome. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe by searching Arts Forward MKE on your favorite listening platform or go to imaginemke.org slash podcasts. Stay tuned for a new episode next Thursday. Also be sure to check out our other two podcasts, Imagine This Podcast and Black Imagination, and follow us on social. On Facebook, we're Imagine MKE, and on Instagram and Twitter, we're at Imagine underscore MKE. Special thanks to musician Amanda Huff for the use of her song Caroline's, which you're listening to now. Be well, friends.